As many of you know, um, Stan Elder uh, went to be with the Lord this past Saturday. And uh, last night we had the, uh, a time of memorial for, for Stan. Uh, many of you have been praying and, and just been investing in the lives of the Elder family. And Marcia just wanted to come this morning, uh, Stan's wife. Uh, who many of you know, and just kind of share a few words with with her body, with her family, um, as she went through this process. Good morning. Um, most of you know my husband stood up here about a year ago and told you all that he was struggling with cancer, and he had been for a year, but he would praise the Lord no matter how long of a time that he gave him, whether it was a year or 90 years. And I want you to know that he did that. But I also want you to know that everyone out here, through your prayers, through giving us your love through meals, you guys helped us so much because I couldn't have made it the last two weeks while he was in hospice care at home if it had not been for my church family. You guys allowed me and my children to sit beside my husband and watch him go into the arms of Jesus. And I will be, and my family will be forever thankful. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just uh, spend some time with the Lord in prayer. Father God, thank you for uh, this time, this blessed time that we can be together. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and what he means in each of our lives. Thank you for his body uh, made up of uh, the people in this church, um, this local church called Grace Chapel. Thank you for the love that uh, we express to one another through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for lives that have been touched. Because people care. Thank you for uh, small groups, life groups, Lord God, that come around each other. And for our body as a whole, people who prepare meals, people who pray, people who sacrifice. To show uh, the love of Jesus to those who are in need. I just pray, dear God, for uh, the elder family as uh, the days and the weeks and months pass. That you would comfort, that you would encourage, that you would strengthen Lord God, uh, speak to them in ways that only you can and allow us to continue to be the kind of church that that shows your love in practical, practical and tangible ways. We love you. We want to serve you. And we thank you for Marcia's testimony. Um, We ask, dear God, that uh, you would be pleased with the remainder of our time together. Uh, We give it all to you in Jesus precious and holy name. Amen. If you have your Bibles. I'm in part two of this sermon. Uh, I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You know, two weeks ago we talked about what's holding us back 
What, what, is, what is really holding us back from impacting the lives of others? What is it that, that keeps us from stepping forward and in, in, in investing in the lives of other people? We said if we wanted to be successful, if we truly wanted to be successful in touching the lives of the people around us, then we need to believe in what God says about us, who we are. We need to start believing in who God says that we are and stop believing the lies of the enemy. Because as you believe the lies of the enemy, it keeps you from truly becoming the person that you were created to be. And it keeps you from reaching out to the people who desperately need you. There are people in this world who desperately need you. Going through all kinds of struggles, all kinds of difficulties. There are people in this room, in this sanctuary. There are people at your job. There are people in your home. There are people at school who just need a listening ear. Someone who they can share their struggles with. Someone who will just reach out and touch them, encourage them, support them. You need to let the people around you know that you love them and you'll be there for them. But that's very difficult sometimes for many people because they believe the lies of the past. They don't believe that they're capable or anyone wants them to invest in their life. And that's not true. So we need to believe what God says about us and we need to put aside the lies of the enemy. Last week we built on that foundation looking at Paul's definition of success. Paul defined what a successful life looks like. And it was very interesting. We talked about true conversion. We talked about true conversion. True conversion takes place when God changes the tenses of our lives. True conversion takes place when God changes the tenses. This is who I was. This is who I am. This is who we were. This is who we are. That's what we need to realize. That as we, we follow Jesus Christ, as we become more like Christ, God continually takes us from who we were to now who we are. You cannot say about a Christian, this is what this person is, and tag them as this is this person's personality, these are their hang-ups, these are their issues, this is, their, this is the past that has now dragged them. You can't talk about those things when you talk about Christians for a long period of time because Christians are constantly changing through the power of the Holy Spirit. God's changed the tenses of my life. This is who Jeff was. This is who Jeff is now. This is who you were. This is who you are. That is the great thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ. The transformational power of the Spirit of God, of Jesus living in us. Paul's definition of success was being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. It is transformation. What does success look like in my life? It is the transformation of the lives of others in my own life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel. As I preach the gospel, as I share the love of Jesus Christ with others, their lives are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, basically the, the background to all this is, 
Paul was being challenged by a group of, of troublemakers within the church, challenging his authority, challenging his apostleship. And he basically doesn't, he didn't stand up and say, here's my letter of recommendation and here, here's what people say. What he said was, you know what, you, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna get an argument over whether my life has been successful as an apostle or who I am? I want to point to this person and this person and this person and that person. Let me share you with what this person's done and how this person's life has been transformed, how this person used to be a prostitute, they're no longer, how this person used to live in this kind of lifestyle, they no longer live that way. Paul points out letters, letters, people that have been changed by the Spirit of God. That's what he points to in his argument. That's what he says. This is a life of success, a transformed life by the power of the Holy Spirit through us preaching the word of God, living out the word of God. Jesus has the life-changing power to utterly transform your life and my life and the life of the people around us from the inside out. From the inside out. And that's what happened to this first century church in Corinth. That's exactly what happened. People's lives were being changed from the inside out. And, and, and you can imagine the community, Corinth being this, this just hole, if you will. I mean, uh, just a, you know, real bad place. And then all of a sudden, these people's lives are being changed. They're no longer engaging in this kind of activity, but their lives are being transformed. You can imagine the community looking at that and saying, what on earth is happening with these followers of the book? These Christians. And we concluded last week that That could happen to our church. That could happen to Grace Chapel if we if we focus our minds and our hearts on Jesus Christ first. If Jesus is first in your life and in my life, if he is first in every individual life in this church and then as the body of Christ, if we will put him first we can see the same transformation. We can see the same enthusiasm within the community of people looking at our church and saying, what is happening there? What do these people have that I don't have? Why do they act this way? Why are they reaching out this way? Why are they, why, why are they, why are they Im- impacting their community in this way? What, what, what is going on there? If we will put Jesus Christ first, first and we will allow him to unleash that transforming power in our lives what what the world sees how they respond will just be transformational in their lives in second corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 paul lays out this transformation we left off last week paul just lays out this transformation four areas number 1 they were visibly different They were visibly different. This is what he says. You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. See, when the Holy Spirit changed the life, the conversion is so dynamic, it is so real that no one can deny the change that they see. When before I was a follower of Christ, before I accepted Christ into my life, almost no one in my family, my extended family, were Christians. After I asked Christ to come into my life, as I stand here today, almost everyone in my extended family are Christians. My mom, my dad, my brother, you go around, my aunts and uncles, most of my family have a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And it is not because of all the amazing apologetic arguments that I used upon them all and they were overwhelmed by it all because I was so amazing. That's not the way it was. They are changed. They know Christ not because of what Jeff Greer said, but because of what Jesus Christ did to me. That's as simple as that. They saw transformation. They saw a changed life over a period of time. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to each one in his own way, bringing certain things into their lives where they began to think about God and they would reflect back maybe on my life that opened up their hearts. I was a letter from Jesus Christ to my family. Jeff became a letter to his family. And so they started thinking about that. They started reading the letter and then that letter applied to their own lives. And as they went through different circumstances in their lives, one by one, they were transformed. They gave their lives to Jesus Christ because of what God did to me, not because of how amazing I was and all the incredible things I said. I certainly said as much as I could, but that is not where the transformation came from. It came from that, the fact that God had written a letter to my family through me. Second, they openly follow Jesus. Openly. They openly follow Jesus Christ. It says in verse 3, it says, you show that you are a letter from Christ. You show, you and I show that we are letters from Christ. They show that they were a letter from Jesus Christ. Their lives were like a letter from Jesus written on their hearts, plain and clear for everyone in their community and in the world to see. They were letters my friends, we need to be letters to our families. We need to be letters. Our community, listen, our community will be drawn to Jesus Christ if they see radically transformed lives. They can't help it. Just like my family or your family, they cannot help it. When they see radically transformed lives, it does something to a person. It's unexplainable. It's undeniable. Students, when you, sh when you obey and you respect your parents, you become a letter. Think about it. Think about it. When you respect them, when you love them, when you show, when you show, when you are obedient to them. I know it's a, oh, obedience. But when you, when you do what they ask you to do, you become a letter from Jesus Christ. All around the world, especially in the United States, everyone says when you hit 13 years old, here's how you're going to act. You're going to be disrespectful, you're going to roll your eyes, you're going to back talk, you're going to, you know, whatever, you're not going to obey your parents, you're going to want to pull away, you're going to want all these things. And that's what we're all told. So that's what every, that's the statistics show that all, mostly, te most teenagers behave in this way. So when you respect your parents, when you obey your parents, when you love your parents, everyone around you realizes you become a letter to them. You become a transformational letter from Jesus Christ to everyone around you, all of your friends. And they wonder, what is different about this person? You become a letter. Adults, when you have integrity, when you will not compromise at work, when they ask you to be, do something immoral, unethical, illegal, and you will not do it. Men and women, adults, when you refuse to do something immoral, unethical, illegal, when you hold on to your integrity at work, regardless of what you're asked to do, you become a letter 
to everyone in the company, everyone in, in that small business. You become a letter from Jesus Christ to everyone around you. He's read by everyone, it says. Read by everyone. So everyone watches and says, this guy says he goes to church. I hear him talking about Jesus. He has a little cross on or whatever else. Maybe he has a little something on his computer and it shows that he's a Christian, a little fish on the back of your car. So they're watching. They know where you come from. They know what your, your background is. And then all of a sudden you refuse to do something that could actually, you could lose your job. But you won't compromise. You become a letter. A letter written from Jesus Christ to the people on your job. Mom and dad, if you, if you for years have lost your temper, that's just your, you know, you grew up, your, your father yelled or your mother yelled and so you started yelling. Maybe your kids are a little older now and they're used to you yelling and they're used to you getting angry and not being able to control your temper and then all of a sudden you realize, you know, this isn't the way I should be raising my family and you ask Christ to move in your heart to help you overcome your anger and you overcome your anger and you start working on habits Bad habits, bad personality traits, and the Holy Spirit starts working in your life and your children see the change in your life, the transformation. You become a letter to your children. You become a letter. People ask all the time, well, how can I get my kids when they they graduate or how can I keep them focused on church? How can I keep them loving God and all that kind of stuff? You know what the most effective way to do it is? The transformation in your own life. They see you changing. You become a letter to your children from Jesus. You become that letter. You become a letter to your friends. You become a letter to your family. You become a letter to your coworkers. You become a letter. We become a letter when we, when we serve passionately. We become a letter. When we serve Jesus Christ. Wherever we are, whether it's in the church, outside of the church, when we serve passionately, we become a letter. We become a letter when we invest in the lives of orphans and widows around the world, in our own community and around the world. When we invest in the lives of people, the, 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 the people outside of the church are criticizing us all the time because we don't do anything. Oh, there's a lot of talk in church, but I don't see them doing anything. When we, when you share with your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends what God is doing through the church, how God is using us to invest in the lives of orphans and widows, how we sacrifice, how we've built a company, that we use the resources to invest in their lives, we become a letter. When you give sacrificially, you become a letter. To the people closest to you, because most people aren't going to walk up to the offering box and write their check and hold it up for everyone to see. Make sure you have the number and then you put it in. No one does that. I've never seen anyone in our church do that. Pour the money in there so it jingles, maybe gold or something. So, you know, you see, you see, that's what the Pharisees and Sadducees used to do. And Jesus criticized it. None of you do that. Never seen anyone do that in my life at our church. You just put it in there. But you know, when you sacrifice, when you give sacrificially, you become a letter to the people closest to you. They know how much you're struggling. They know how, how tight you are. But that becomes a priority in your life because it's an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. And so you say, I'm going to worship God with the little that I have, that widow's might. That becomes a letter. You become a letter to the people around you. You become a letter. When you invest in the lives of others, when you sacrifice for the lives of others, when you care for the lives of others, when you give to the lives of others, whether you're, whether you're in elementary school, whether you're in junior high, whether you're in high school or college or an adult, you become a letter as your life is transformed and you don't settle 
for the mediocrity this world has to offer us. This is who you are when you're in junior high. This is who you're supposed to be when you're in high school. This is the way you're supposed to act. When you go to college, you're supposed to, it is sowing your wild oats, my friends. It's time to get, you know, crazy and you're away from your parents and this is the time to really just go all out. Or, you are a letter from Jesus Christ to your college. You stand up for Christ in your classes. And you're, you have no, you, even, if, even if you don't know it all, you still stand up for Christ. When your friends are going out and doing, when your friends who you went to high school with, who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, are doing all the things that you really don't want to do, you stand and you are a letter from Jesus, written to them, reminding them of who they are. And encouraging other people that you can have a dynamic, exciting, incredible college experience without doing something that dishonors Christ. You become a letter. You become a letter. Number three, they were transformed by the Spirit. I love this. Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Verse three. Not with ink but with the spirit of the living God. It's written by the spirit of the living God. They had not been changed just by coming to church, my friends, or by participating in religious religious rituals. That is not the transform. That's not how the transformation took place. This is what the verse is saying. This transformation did not take place because a bunch of people kind of showed up at church or went and participated in some religious rituals. Listen, programs and rituals do not have the power to change my life. I don't know about you, but I, I came to Christ when I was at the end of my senior year of high school. I had gone to church a couple of times here and there before that, kind of in and out. Something happened. I went to this church. I went to that church. And I went through... I didn't really do it because I was rebellious anyway, and so I didn't want to bow down to something or kneel at anything, and I didn't know what they were doing, so I didn't do it. But I watched their, I watched their rituals in, in their church, and I watched the rituals in this other church, whether it was you know, a Baptist church or a Catholic church or Presbyterian. It didn't matter. They had different rituals. But I'll tell you something. Those rituals never transformed my life. I watched people go through the rituals. Never, never, there was no transformation in my life. Rituals, some people have been ritualized into mediocrity. Some of you sitting here this morning have been ritualized into mediocrity, into spiritual complacency. You've gone through all the little things here and there. I don't, and don't think I'm just talking about this church or that church. We all kind of have them. And some people have been ritualized into mediocrity, into spiritual complacency, into thinking that good is good enough. That just being good and doing the right thing here and there, more than you do the wrong thing. That's good enough because you're kind of going through the motions and you're going into the program and you've gone through the rituals and you've done all these things. So you, you've, been, you've been ritualized into mediocrity, into spiritual complacency, into thinking good is good enough, and that is not true. Kevin, Kevin Trigger was leading the men's retreat last week, and he shared a story, and I've asked him to come this morning and share that story with you. Yeah, 
Jeff gave me a time frame where I'm supposed to not uh, ramble too much. You're and, good. Uh, You're good. Uh, but but <laughs> I said, uh, there's no way I can talk as fast as you. So that, that, that doesn't work out well when I tried doing that. But uh, anyway, I want to give you two levels of context of, of, of the, my story that I want to tell. And then I'll tell the story and then kind of weave it into what Jess was talking about. So you have to hang with me just a little bit here. Uh, context number one was the men's retreat from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of our talks, we were talking about the wounds that we receive. And, of course, we were talking about our masculine hearts and our masculinity and, and the wounds that we receive maybe from our fathers. But um, equally uh, applicable to women, or we are, none of us is exempt from receiving wounds. It could have been somebody, you know, often at times it come from your parents, maybe your father, uh, you're working with them on building a soapbox derby car and you can never get it right. And all of a sudden he takes it away and just says, well, just let me do it. Why can't you ever do anything right? Or maybe the father that uh, you bring home a bad grade. Well, I just wish you were, could have been as smart as your brother. Or, you know, no wonder Susie got the cheerleading job because just look at you. You know, those things slip out of our mouths as parents and they're wounds that go deep and fester, and all of a sudden we find ourselves as adults not knowing why we behave or why we feel this, these, these ways, and it's because of these wounds that we've received, and none of us, like I said, is exempt. Well, the wound is bad enough. The wound hurts bad enough. But the problem then is the lingering effect of that wound over the years as it festers and as it lays dormant down deep inside, and all of a sudden that wound becomes a lie like Jeff already mentioned, a lie from your enemy, and which in turn turns into an agreement that you make with that enemy. So all of a sudden, the wound that said, uh, why can't you be like your brother, becomes an agreement later in my head that says, I'll never be smart enough. No matter how hard I try, I'll never be able to do it. I can never do things right to please so-and-so. I'll never be beautiful enough to make the A-team or whatever, those agreements that we make, and they, they affect other people. Well, that's context number one. Context number two comes from the life of, uh, in my family life with my daughter, Whitney, especially, and to a lesser extent, uh, my son, Logan. But uh, over the years, uh, she has, uh, we've been teasing each other, and this has gone on for years and years and years as she's grown up. She's in college now, but I'll, uh, she'll say something about what her friends are doing or whatever, and, and I'll teasingly say, hey, you just tell your friends and watch out because they do not want to incur the wrath of Kevin Schwiger. And she'll laugh and say, ha, 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 yeah, yeah, right, because not like anyone's afraid of you because you're too nice. Well, over the years, we've joked about that. Dozens and dozens of times and it's come to this family inside joke. Well, recently that has not felt like so much of a joke to me. And it's those comments by her, even though she's just continuing the family joke, have all of a sudden kind of scratched a little bit inside me. That's context number two. Uh, I go back a couple of months and I was in a group with uh, a bunch of other men and we were talking about this this wound thing. And and I had I had tried desperately to come up with a significant wound that I'd received from my father and I just never could. And so I was all of a sudden kind of feeling guilty that I hadn't didn't have this big, bad wound like a lot of other people. And so I, <clears throat> I went out and sat on a rock and I, I prayed to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I need a gift from you today. 
I know that none of us are exempt from wounds, but I need a gift from you. And the gift I'm asking for right this second is that you would show me what that wound may have been and what agreements I have made because of that. And I, I just pictured him sitting on the rock beside me. Please give me this. And I prayed and he took me back. Jesus took me back to a scene that was played out in my life over 30 years ago. And I had not played this scene back in my head for over 30 years. goes back to my junior high years. Uh, on a playground in Sterling, Kansas, teeny tiny little town. We had 25 kids in my graduating class. And so we were all buddies. And Kevin was the good kid. Kevin was the pastor's kid. Kevin was the one that wasn't allowed to go to dances and couldn't do this or that. And I was kind of the good boy. And uh, so we're on a playground and my friends jokingly grab one of the weaker, nerdier girls and tie her down or pin her down and start throwing balls at her, which started out going ha ha ha, but very quickly turned into yelling and screaming and a bad scene. While Kevin was not participating, Kevin was over here not participating. Okay, a couple days later, very similar scene in the hallway from the gym. Grab the girl, grab the nerdy boy, hold him down, throw stuff at him. Kevin's at the bottom of the stairs, not participating. And Jesus took me back to that scene and said, Kevin, uh, you were not the good kid because you didn't participate. You were the kid who allowed it to happen and didn't say anything. And I can remember going home to my parents now, not really telling them about it, because in, in my mind, it wasn't an issue because I was the good kid who didn't do it. And Jesus, just a couple of months ago, said, Kevin, you were the kid who allowed it to happen. You were the kid who thought that good, good, was good enough. When it wasn't good enough, you ask the, the girl who was being held down if good was good enough? <laughs> no. You know, the problem is that those wounds turn into lies, and the lies turn into agreements that we make, and then somehow... Those agreements, 30 years later, my daughter is saying, ha, ha, ha. But really inside, if you were if she was honest enough and you could ask her when she gets here over Christmas break. That she would say, you know what? There would be a wound back then because there were so many times where I needed my dad to stand up for me and little and defend me a little stronger. That goes back to my junior. So. Jeff is right, and we've said it over and over and again, that you, we, I, am not the only one who needs to get this because it perpetrates from generation to generation. You are not the only one who needs to understand this. Thanks, Kim. You know, and all of us, I think, can relate to what Kevin is saying because uh, we go back in our own lives. How many of us sat in the lunchroom while that one little guy, little, you know, nerdy guy or whatever you want to call him, weaker, let's just say a weaker person, is sitting by themselves at the, at the lunch table while someone is tormenting them, while a group of people are just tormenting them. And we kind of, we're not participating. We didn't get involved. We didn't throw any paper at them. We didn't call them names. We didn't trip them. We didn't smack the milk out of their hands. And so therefore, we didn't do what these other people did, but we didn't do anything. We just sat there. 
the person at work, the woman at work or the or the man at work, if there's a woman there and 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 she's a little more timid. And so so people will say things to her and belittle her and intimidate her. And you, well, we're not doing it, so therefore, you know, we're just in the background. We watch this happen and think, that person's just terrible. Instead of standing up and being a letter at work or being a letter at school and standing up as difficult as it is and saying, why don't you just leave that person alone? Or go and at least find someone to stop what's going on and becoming a letter to that person. That's what we need to do. Good is not good enough. We cannot be ritualized into mediocrity. We cannot live in spiritual complacency. You read the word of God, you see these men and women overcoming so many incredible obstacles, standing up to whatever is in their way, and we're awed by them. And then you bring it back to our modern Christian world. And we ask, where is the passion? Where's the fight? Where's the boldness? To stand up and be a letter. To be a letter. Number four. They were changed internally. There was an internal change. It says not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The Ten Commandments were written on on stone tablets. And they became a rule of life for Israel. They became a rule of life for Israel. If someone were to ask, gee, should I, is it okay for me to lie in this situation? I, found, I find myself caught in this situation, so I wonder if it's okay for me to lie my way out of this situation. I wonder if it's okay for me to steal my neighbor's goat. I wonder if it's okay for me to sleep with my neighbor's wife. I wonder if it's okay. The response would come back, read the Ten Commandments. What do the commandments say? What do the Ten Commandments say? You see, rules can tell us right and wrong. It can even help us through difficult situations in our lives. But what it cannot do, it cannot transform us from the inside out. Only the gospel can transform a life from the inside out. You will never be transformed, in a sense, externally. From rules and regulations and rituals and programs. You are transformed by the Spirit of God from the inside out. True followers of Jesus Christ are living epistles. They are letters. They are letters that everyone in the community can read. And they, they, can, they cannot come, they cannot stand up and say, well, th- th- this is not true. They are, we are living epistles. Letters that everyone in our community can read and they cannot deny the changes in our lives. They cannot deny the transformation that is taking place in the life of a believer. That is, what, that is where it comes from. That's how people come to know Christ. Most people come to know Christ not because you have the best argument, but because you're living a Christ-like life. And they cannot deny the change they see in your life, especially when that transformation is reaching out and touching their lives, when you're defending them, when you're protecting them, when you're encouraging them, when you're supporting them, when you're sacrificing for them. That is what leads people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what keeps our children focused on Jesus Christ through junior high and high school and college and beyond. 
is the letter that they see lived out in your life. The letter that they are receiving from Jesus Christ. The letter that is you that they're receiving from Jesus Christ. That is what transforms the lives of other people. You see, Jesus is the writer. The Holy Spirit is the ink. And you and I are the letters. Someone he say amen to that. Right? I mean, come on. Jesus is the author of my life. Of the letter. He's the author. He's the writer. The Holy Spirit, man, is the ink. Gets it all down. And you are the letter. You, you get to be. You get to be the ambassador. You get to be the example. You get to be the person whose life is so transformed that others say, I want what that person has. So what what does real success look like? What does real success look like? Real success is a changed life. It's a transformed life by the power of the Holy Spirit of God through the preaching of the gospel. As you live your life out, the Holy Spirit transforms that life and turns that person into a letter. Turns that person into a letter. That's what I'm calling for all of us to do today. That's what I'm calling for each one of us to do. I'm asking each person to touch just one life. I'm asking you individually, if I could just call you by name, I'd go around and I'm asking, maybe this is your first time, maybe you've been only coming here for a week or a month, I'm asking you this morning, face-to-face, whatever on-one or one-on-one, which I would love to do one-on-one, I'm asking you to touch just one life at work. Just one life. Invest in just one life at work or at school. Touch just one life in your school or at home. Touch one life at home or in church or on the field, wherever your sphere of influence. Touch, I'm asking you to touch just one individual life. Invite someone to church. Invite one person to church during this series. People in your community who say, people in your neighborhood who say, I don't go to church because the, the church people are hypocrites and that. I don't, they don't do anything. They just do more. If I could see them doing more. We will lay things out over the next month and a half through Christmas that will blow their minds. They will not. It will be impossible for them to say that Grace Chapel, this church, is not doing anything. It will be impossible. They will look at that and say, I would, I would like to be a part of something like that. I would go to church. I'll go to church if this is what you're doing. They want to see reality. Invite one person. Invite one person to youth group. Just one. Invite one person on Sunday nights to youth group or Sunday mornings, whatever, to youth group, to your impact group. Invite just one person. Someone had the courage to look at a long-haired, foul-mouthed person and had the courage, Patty Tafalis had the courage to say, hey, why don't you come to youth group with me? Everybody else standing around. There were people standing around when she asked me. You can imagine? And she asked me. She had the courage to ask me, to believe that this foul-mouthed, long-haired, angry, bitter person, she had the courage to believe that Jesus could do something in my life like he did in her life. She was so changed, she couldn't help but to ask her friend, who she saw needed change as well. I'm standing here today because someone had the courage to ask me to go to youth group. 
believed, who believed in me, that I, that I wasn't the person, I wasn't living out the per, being the person I was created to be. There was more to me than met the eye. She believed that and invited me. Invite one person to a life group. Marcia Elder stood here this morning and shared her testimony about how a life group, how this family, this, 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 this body of Christ that we call Grace Chapel, her individual life group and the rest of the body came around her and invested in her life and made a difference, touched her life and made a difference in her life. We need to reach out to our neighbors, maybe someone who's struggling, and invite them to life group. Encourage them. Believe that they can be more than what they're living right now. Believe in them. One touch, just one life. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking for every single person here who hears my voice to just touch one life at work, at school, at home, at church. Just one life. When, when, when my life was transformed, my friends, when my life was transformed by God, when Patty asked me to come to church because her life was transformed, and she in turn was, was a person who influenced me to become a follower of Jesus Christ, I I had a desire. Once my life was transformed, I wanted to see the lives of others transformed. That should be our hearts. When God does something to you, you should want to share it with others. When God gives you his love, you should want to share his love with others. That's what I'm asking us to do as a church, to share the love of Jesus Christ and the transformation that we've seen in our own lives, have the boldness and the encouragement to reach out and share that love with others. Let me ask you a question as we close here. In your Christian life, how many letters have you written? You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking the letters we've been talking about for the last two weeks. How many lives have you touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many lives have you shared the love of Jesus Christ with? How many letters have I written? How many letters have you written? We need to reach out to a lost and hurting world. We need to touch lives. We need to invest in people who desperately need Christ's help. See, that is the the definition of success for Paul. Paul's definition of success was a transformed life by the power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. How many letters have you written? How many lives have you helped transform? I'm asking you this morning to think about one life that you can touch. Just one life. Think of that person right now. One life that you can reach out and touch. Let's bow our heads. Father, we know Paul's definition of success. And that is your definition of success a changed life. Father, we thank you for the transformation we see in our own lives. And we ask, dear God, that we would love, live above the level of mediocrity. We ask, dear God, that you would begin to move in us in such a way that our lives would be a, a living epistle, that we would be a letter to all those around us, to our parents, to our children, to our husbands, to our lives, to our co-workers, to those in school, to those who play with us on the field, on the court. Lord God, that we would be a living epistle, that we would be a living letter to them. Thank you for the way that you've been moving in our lives. Thank you for the way that you've been using this church to touch the lives of others. Thank you for the sacrifice they've made financially in their service to impact this community. Thank you for their lives. And God, I ask that you would begin to light a fire in the lives of those who have not been living 
who have not been living according to your word, who have not been a letter to those around them, I pray that you would set a fire in their hearts, that you would move in such a way that they would be bold once again, that they would come alive spiritually once again, and that they would honor you with everything that they have, their time, their talents, and their treasures. God, that we would honor you. May no one leave this building today the same person as they were when they came in. May we be more conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, when we leave this place. God, set that fire in our hearts. Use us, we pray. May we be your letter to this world. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great, great week.